your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Back to Off Tackle Empire, where we will be discussing the Indiana Hoosiers. We will be discussing the Indiana Hoosiers in a vacuum of much uncertainty because we have no idea how different things are going to be by the time this episode actually gets released. Yep. What is more recruiting, COVID, or what is more fluid, recruiting or coronavirus? Depends on the market. If you're talking Chicago basketball, then yes, recruiting by country mile. Although. If we ever get to the Michigan State episode, it's going to be really difficult for me not to just talk about future basketball recruiting the whole damn time, because it has been a fantastic week and a half on that front. But who's your football? Has an name four season ever felt more triumphant that you can think of? Absolutely not. Indiana was for real for the first time in my memory. Yeah, you know, we've spent the last couple years debating which of the conference's class of hot, newish coaches was going to make the breakthrough first. Is it going to be Scott Frost? Is it going to be P.J. Fleck? Is it going to be Jeff Brom? Tom Allen never entered those conversations, did he? Because Cause he seemed he was always a plan B type guy. No, he was, he was the break in case of Kevin Wilson being a crazy maniac. And that's, yeah. that's what happened. He was just... An internal promotion. He felt like a culture hire. You know what he felt like? He felt like Matt Luke at Ole Miss. Yep. Like, this is a guy we just need to steer us through this difficult chapter, not really expecting it to work out if we're being frank from the outside, and then hopefully the place will still be in decent shape. You know, all the all the light bulbs will be changed and in working order for the next guy who might be another swing for the fences guy like Kevin Wilson. I'm cracking me. A Black Rocks Grand Rabbits dry hopped cream ale to celebrate the enormous leap that Indiana took to the upper tier. This is from the Upper Peninsula. You have to tell me how it is, because like I said, I I felt like I had had this before. It's a little underwhelming relative to what I thought I, it was. Um, I may just be confusing it with a different beer that I liked more. Oh, I dig it. Yeah. All right. I'll have to bring you the last cup. I bought a six pack, and I think these are numbers three and four. So. Um, Interesting. So yeah, looking at this 8-4 record a little bit closer, it is true that the record is bolstered a bit by a Balsawood tough non-conference schedule of Ball State, Eastern Illinois, and UConn. Uh, the crossovers are also as forgiving as they could get in terms of record. Nebraska, Northwestern, Purdue, those are the bottom three teams in the West last year. Um, but that, And then, look, they won their in-division games with Maryland and Rutgers, and that's the margin of error being in a division with Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. I'm not putting Michigan State in that conversation anymore because I remember the game between Michigan State and Indiana very clearly. Indiana absolutely should have won that game. But it was the most Indiana, Charlie Brown, you know, Lucy pulling away the football moment. We're like, <laughs> you know. Well, what should have been the game-winning drive turned into a backdoor cover. Yeah. Um, um, so actually, when you put it that way, Nine Indiana was a very real thing before the bowl game. Absolutely. But I mean, this was in many ways, this was, you could call this a breakthrough season, but in many ways, this was also the ultimate Indiana football season. Was it not? Sure. Because as good of a team as they were, 
They still didn't beat any of the elite marks. No, yeah. Eight wins is still... I mean, those long losing streaks against Ohio State and Michigan are intact. And talk about a glass ceiling. Easier. I mean, yeah. and they were right in there with that game. And I don't think that they were... I don't remember their game against Michigan. I don't believe they were competitive against Ohio State. Um, but they were right in there with Penn State. I was monitoring that game well into the fourth quarter. Um, and once again, you know, they, they punched with the big boys and got outgunned. No, I mean, they lost to Ohio State by 41 to Michigan by 25. Yeah, okay. So, those um, see, those two weren't close. And then Penn State was kind of close, but... No, Penn State was a one-score game. Michigan State was a nine-point game, but... They had a lead in the at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and they had a huge punt return that was called back by an iffy penalty. I remember it clear as day. And if you didn't believe the season was about peak Indiana, and by peak Indiana, I don't mean the most Indiana possible. I mean the maximum allowable Indiana um, as far as how much success that they're really allowed. Look no further than the bowl game. Right. Oh, my God. I just... Um, yeah... I, you know, I think Indiana fans who happen to be listening are going to be happier if we don't go into that too much. That was another game that they really deserved to win. Although, whoever would have guessed, by the way, that beating Indiana in the Gator Bowl would then springboard Tennessee into the best recruiting class they've had in 20 years? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the track they're on. A familiar narrative, um, though, for Indiana. They're the other team in you know the, the the team that stuff happens against. Yes. Exactly, they're the team that stuff happens against. They're they're the obstacle that is to be overcome by the main character. <laughs> you know, it's not their story. Yeah. Yep, they're one of those. I I, I know the feeling. Um, yeah, that I mean, if if I'm an Indiana fan, I feel about that game the way that I, I personally feel about the uh, 2014 NFC Championship game, which is still one of the things where when I think about it's like. Oof. You ever have like your friend die in a dream, and then you wake up and you're just sad, like you don't, you, you just because in your head you've been living with like the reality that like a good friend of yours is gone now, and it's been really sad, and you wake up and you know it's a dream, but you're just it makes you're just still you think, emotionally hungover. It makes you think sad. about that reality, yeah. It makes you think sad things yeah. just for 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 the whole first part of your day. That's that's how I am about that game. That's how I imagine I would be about this one. Yeah. Like, not, not mad, just despondent. Yeah, and so, outside of the record, the story of the season for Indiana was this ongoing quarterback, not really battle exactly, but, you know, they named Penix the starter despite having a decent option in Peyton Ramsey, who'd played a couple years as a starter himself, but Penix kept getting hurt, Ramsey played really well, um... That situation resolved itself with Peyton Ramsey transferring to Northwestern. So Michael Penix Jr. is the guy now. And I expressed the opinion towards the beginning of last year, really before Justin Fields demonstrated who he was to everyone. But I still, I mean, I still think this might be the case because Justin Fields is an obvious draft departure after this year, correct? Yeah, absolutely. But Plus- Michael, Michael Penix is a redshirt sophomore who does not feel like an eminent NFL draft procedure. You could get you could get Penix for three more years still. And so last year... This guy was like a fairly highly touted three-star, but yeah. the only news that he made with Indiana was that his name was amazing. That's the only thing I remember about his recruitment. I don't remember this being a, oh man, this is a huge recruit for Indiana. I remember, oh my God, that name is amazing. And, and sure was, enough... Yeah, it's, he wasn't supposed to be. There were some reports during his redshirt that, man, this guy is really damn good. Like, even with Peyton Ramsey having multiple years of eligibility left... 
he might be a factor in the but future. But how many times do you hear about a That's recruit during a redshirt that's yeah. like, oh man, he's the best player on the field in practice whenever you're redshirting. I mean, sure. heard, heard this endlessly about Luke Ford last year. It could be true. Um, also heard the same thing about uh, Aaron Cosby in Illinois practices in <laughs> 10 <made> to 3. <laughs> yeah, so again, the, the point with all that is we had the discussion towards the beginning of last year. I don't remember in what episode exactly. You all are welcome to check the archives, as I know you frequently check do. Check the receipts. Everyone loves to go back and listen to our Week 7 preview from 2017, I'm sure. Um, but I express the opinion that if you were to have a league-wide draft, pick whatever play, you know, pick your roster from whatever players you want, that I would consider taking Michael Penix first because he's a dual-threat quarterback. He was a redshirt freshman at the time. He had, he had, just, he had, had some kind of performance that opened your eyes to what his ceiling could be. And I was basically of the opinion that, look, his physical tools are good, but not NFL is going to grab this guy with a tractor beam good. You could get this guy as the starting quarterback for four years. Would you take anyone else above him right now? The only thing I came up with was like, yeah, there's some five-star offensive linemen that Ohio State's going to incubate for two years before they even need him. Maybe you would rather have a, a stud left tackle or pass rusher or something instead. But... The point I was making, I think, is pretty clear, which is this is a damn good building block to go off of. Um, and that's going to be the case now, but they need him to stay healthy. Uh, behind him, all they've really got is the transfer from Utah, Jack Tuttle, which, you know, Utah makes a lot of good players. Quarterbacks, not so much. But Tuttle so, also more of a pro-style quarterback, um, yeah. not as mobile as Ramsey. And you know, the thing is about Penix is that, obviously, when you get hurt twice, um, you know, in two separate seasons, you're going to get that label attached to you. And it's not always fair um, unless you're talking about a recurring injury, which I don't believe his is. I don't think so, no. So it, well, yeah, I it think could his, very well be that he can't. I think his season ender was that he broke his leg, wasn't it? Yeah. Like that's, you know, broken bones happen. So. Uh, that's kind of something that you can't really yeah. control right, so that we, much. I mean, of course, I did, I did break my first ever bone during a brief period of time where uh, my physician thought that my asthma had something to do with lactose, so I wasn't drinking a lot of milk. I wasn't getting my calcium, and I broke a bone, and then I said, all right, no, I'm, I'm drinking milk again. I played defensive tackle through a broken thumb with a big old club. You just bash guys. I can picture you just... But, um, I was really bad because I stood up like a linebacker on the snap. There's, there's, there's plenty of film of me. Pad level was just atrocious. No, my pad level was absolutely atrocious. I, I, I watched, I watched some as a board out here. Yeah, man. I watched some film of me on the uh, the the junior midget Broncos. Just, uh, just in like whatever the opposite of firing off the line would be. Like I don't know, like. Burrowing into the line. <laughs> Standing straight up, misfiring. Um, my weapon was jammed. I don't know. But that's what I was doing. Um, what was amazing was that I, I also found film of me making tackles. I don't know how. Presumably the linemen you were facing were not the most technically skilled either. Uh, so... Look at the rest of the Indiana offense. They lose some support pieces on the offense, but they've got... The big play guys, Fry Fogel and Fillier, both back. Which, um, I mean, they're going to dominate our name of the year poll again. 
Obviously, they had the winner, Penix, who we predicted would be a powerhouse for years to come. We might have an Indiana medal stand. I, I believe that Freifogel came in third. Could be. If, if, you're, if I'm not mistaken. Because, I mean, of course, DiCaprio Boodle is a very, very strong name. Certainly likely to be a medalist again. But we could have, we could have an Indiana podium here. Um, they have a little bit of a question mark with Peyton Hendershot, who had a breakout season at tight end. Had a little domestic violence thing. Did not lead to any jail time, but he's got a year of probation. He is suspended indefinitely, which could mean games or it might not. Who knows? Um, and then up in the backfield, they've still got Stevie Scott and Samson James, who went into the portal briefly and opted to stay. So they've got a nice one-two punch there. On the offensive line, they're set at tackle. Um, Nathan Bedford looks like a stud on the left side. Caleb Jones is a veteran on the right. They got to figure out their interior offensive line and their depth at receiver. But other than that, they got a lot to work with offensively. It's an interesting thing that keeps happening that you see guys, you know, just dip a, a toe in the in the James Brown celebrity hot tub that is the transfer portal, and then go, "Ow, too hot in the hot tub." I don't see why you wouldn't. I mean, it's I you might as well play the market, right? To an extent, I suppose it's fair to say that if your name pops up there. Your coach is going to look at you like, I can't trust this kid, can I? But it's also like if if you know you're recruited over and your coach knows you're recruited over, if you kind of have a mutual understanding that you're not the most important player to this team and that you might, but you haven't or you have had the conversation or you haven't. Well, sure. But it depends so, on how your relationship with your coach is and what your role is. Let's think about Samson James's situation, though. So he came in. He's a year behind Stevie Scott who established himself as a really good lead running back. He's not Zeke Elliott, but Stevie Scott's very good. James came in behind him. He's a highly regarded recruit. Ohio State wanted him. Um, but what I mean, what recruiting pitch would Tom Allen honestly have made to him? He's got an established, capable running back one year above him. What's the most he really would have promised a guy like James? Like, you will play? He did. He played. He didn't have huge stats, but he played, and he was a factor. That's probably going to be the case again this year with his with an off season. Well, who knows what an off season of weight training under this under these conditions will do for well, you? Well, it depends on whether or not you have equipment at home because I don't, and I'm well. Small's not the right word, but shaping poorly. <laughs> uh, that's the thing. It's so much easier for me to make gains in the upper body than it is for me to lose parts off of my waistline. But anyway, um, I, I'm not like. Let's see, like, Indiana was passed up in recruiting by the likes of Nebraska and Purdue, and I think that's probably because Tom Allen had to use a lot of his week one recruiting hours uh, convincing <laughs> Samson James, James to stay. To stay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Talk into staying. <laughs> uh, um, so, defensively, Indiana has a good amount of carryover here as well. Um I was a huge fan of Taiwan Mullen last year. Absolutely. He was a true freshman. I, I think, I don't think he was all that well regarded as, like, I don't think he was a blue chip or anything, but he started basically from day one. Um, he's, I think he's, he feels like a cornerstone guy. So, like, it, I've commented in the past that once in a while, Indiana, when their defenses were bad, would have the occasional defensive back where everyone's like, actually, this guy's real good. Look at how many tackles he gets. I'm like... <laughs> no, that's you... because your defensive back is getting a lot of tackles. That's an indictment of the rest of your defense. Yeah, it means, first of all... Your Somebody line... has yeah. to make them. It means your linebackers aren't making any tackles, 
and it means your guy can't cover with the shit, and he just tackles the guy after they catch the ball in front of him. So I was never like I just I always thought like that drove me nuts. I don't know exactly why, um, but I don't think Taiwan good is Taiwan Mullen has big numbers because of that. I think he has them because he's really good. Um, they have solid players across the front seven. They lose Raekwon Jones, who's a good contributor at linebacker, but not an irreplaceable guy. They are going to need to figure out how to get a little bit more of a pass rush. That was that it, a lot of times they were close, but not quite there. So it does feel like they could really use kind of a splash athlete. Like they don't really have a surefire third down pass rusher who's going to either command or a double team or beat single beat a single matchup and get to a quarterback. It doesn't feel like they have that guy. Um, but again, you know, they were solid across the board, which you can expect with a defensive head coach like Tom Allen. So we mentioned earlier the schedule was pretty favorable last year. It definitely bumps up a little bit in difficulty. In the crossover, they're going to trade Northwestern and Nebraska for Illinois, which is at home, and the first game of the season, they go to Camp Randall. That can be a tone setter in a couple of different ways. Um, you keep that close or definitely if you win obviously that is a big lift but if it's a more traditional visit to Camp Randall for Indiana that can set a bad tone that can linger for weeks yeah, if I'm in if I'm an Indiana fan that's not the first game that I want to see on the schedule I'm no it's probably pretty cl- I mean they've had the bad luck in the last couple seasons of playing Ohio State early multiple times and that can be a deflating thing because even if you're good like even if you win games before and games after like when you've got that big L, like, two or three weeks into the season, it's like, ah, And it's a big shit. L, too. Is it, it functionally knocks you out of the division race already, which, sure, be, playing Ohio State later doesn't make it much more likely that you're going to beat them. But, but if you lose to the them, you're out of the division race yeah. because they're not going to lose two games. It's got to take a mental toll to know, like, well, shit, it's week two and we're already yeah. out of the conference race. Granted, you knew you knew in the back of your head that was probably going to be the case eventually, but you'd like to hope for a while longer. When was the last like, time Ohio State lost two regular season conference games? I don't know. I don't keep track. I mean, we could look it up, but it's... Well, anyway. Well, let me th- um, 2015, maybe? I'm talking about regular lose? season conference Well, that's games. what I'm... I'm trying to remember if they might have lost to Penn State that year. No, I don't think so. Well, I, I'm... That's why I don't really remember. Uh, definitely not. Twenty fourteen was no. Twenty fourteen is definitely no. Twenty thirteen is definitely no. Are you sure it's not more recent, like maybe sixteen? Sixteen, I think that was the year that Penn State. That was your Penn State one, and but who else? Well, let's see. Yep, so eight and one Big Ten. Then in twenty seventeen Iowa beat them. Then in twenty eighteen Purdue beat them. And well, that's what I'm trying to remember is that did either of those years did they have another loss in no. conference? All right, well that's that's why did you make us think about this? This is a really depressing thing for you to make us talk about. Neither of us are Ohio State fans, you know that, right? Twenty eleven. <clears throat> twenty eleven was the last time. That's a fucking decade. More or less. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. If you lose to Ohio State, you're out of the division race. That's all there is to it. Yeah, gross. Let's talk about something that would usually be happier conversation for Indiana fans, but it sure ain't right now, basketball. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's weird because Indiana football, 
like right now, what it seems to me that they're doing is, yeah, you could argue that Minnesota more charitable, you know, better occupies this position, but they're like uh, equivalent to Krillin, right? The strongest human character. So it's like as I feel like I view college football differently as a fan of just an internally shitty program. So it's like you know. Like, where you could reasonably see your program being someday. Because, you know, I know we're never going to be, like, Ohio State level. But it's like, oh, you know, I could see a path to being where they are. And that's like, ooh, that would be really nice. You know what I mean? The strongest human character. Whereas in basketball... We've talked about this before. We definitely agreed Michigan is Vegeta, right? Yes. (laughs) Okay. That's all. We don't need to go on that. Whereas in basketball... Indiana is 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 a fallen god, if you will. That like this is not you know they're 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 a lot in life. They're still adjusting to the idea that you know they're 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 down here on Earth with most of the rest of us. So maybe like Tian. Yeah, well that's the thing. Tian actually beat Goku. <laughs> One time. This is canon. Tien beat Goku in the World Martial Arts Tournament. Well, yeah, but like... Many people forget this. Yeah, but that's still significant because... You know who never beat Goku? Piccolo, Vegeta, any of his other rivals. Yeah. Um, all right, so all this is... So... So, I yeah, paused, Indiana I paused, won the national title. Yeah, well, sure. I paused for a long time because I wrote something down here, and I don't know if it's really cool to say or not, but... I can't help but wonder if the cancellation of the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament might have been the biggest stroke of luck Archie Miller has ever had because I don't know what the world inside of Indiana basketball public, you know, or like social media is, but outside of it, nobody's thinking about him missing the tournament his first two years as the coach at friggin' Indiana because there was no tournament for him to miss. Yeah. Um, well, that's I, not to I say that again. That's let me be let me perfectly clear. That's, that's not to say that he's glad that it happened or that he's relieved. It's just what kind of if if things were carried on as they normally would have, would we be talking about Archie Miller on the hot seat right now? You and me, non-Indiana people, would we be talking about that? I think we might be. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, that's all. Course, that I mean, I'm pointing as far as I'm concerned, you know, they seem to have plunged the final straw. I'm mixing metaphors. They seem to have hammered the final nail into the coffin of the Crimson Quarry, Archie Miller and Indiana basketball did. Because <laughs> they, they made them. Crimson Quarry give up. They made they murdered our beautiful Indiana boy. <laughs> Look at him. They massacred our beautiful Indiana block. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. So, so for that alone, Archie Miller is on my shit list. And I'm going to pose this question to you again. Given Michigan State's on a little bit of a rec- of a recruiting heater, that's understating it. I'm feeling a bit indulgent, so maybe you'll maybe you'll humor me. Is Indiana the premier basketball brand in the Big Ten anymore or not? No. Okay. How could you? All right. Possibly... I did, well, five banners. They still recruit as good or better than anyone else. I'm just asking because you know I don't trust myself to have an objective view of that because. My natural lizard brain argument is, no, my team. No, my team better. Um, And I think on paper there's plenty of, like, certainly in the last 20 years it's not even close. Since Indiana occupied a spot near the top of the college basketball hierarchy, because remember, you're talking to somebody who 
went to Illinois with the idea that we were an elite basketball school, a true blue blood, and has had to cope with the reality that that's not happened. Now, obviously, we didn't win a national title, so it's not quite the same thing. But when you're talking about how long has it been since you were on top of the basket, near the top of the basketball world, for Illinois, 2005. So that means that you've got generations that don't even know about it. Uh, for Indiana, I'm thinking Victor Oladipo, 2013, that year when they got to number one, uh, and were a number one overall seed, because have they been, I mean, they've warranted discussion because that year, you know, getting back to number one, well, they, one so gave that them was, some momentum after that. They won two Big Ten titles in a four-year span. I think it was 13 and 16. Um, and, and then, by the way, they fired Tom Crean. But, uh, yeah, I don't think they are anymore. And I just, look, I asked the question because, again, I think it's an obvious no, but I also recognize that I may not be an entirely objective perspective on that. So I thought I'd pose it. Not something I wanted to dwell on. But I was just wondering, and the reason I wonder about that is because of the conversation that we would be having, I think, had the tournaments gone on as planned, which is if, you know, is Archie Miller the guy to get this in the place that Indiana fans want it to be? And if he's not, did Indiana basketball in firing Tom Crean just make the same mistake Nebraska did when they fired Bo Pelini or even Frank Solich and not settling for pretty darn good, they end up sinking even further down <laughs> yeah so see i want to make my point just a little further because the 23 i said when i say the 2013 was the last time that indiana was really near the top of the you know basketball world yes you are right that they won the regular season in 2016 however when i look at those final standings uh they were the third like they were the third highest ap ranked team in the big 10 in the season behind Purdue and Michigan State, which was number two. So Michigan State, um, obviously the postseason didn't go very well, but they, you know, still the point is, Indiana, despite being the regular season champs, is not viewed as like, yes, we're the power in the Big Ten. Um, since 2013, when that's really been the case, like they were a one seed, right? That's, that's what I'm talking about. It's yeah. not enough to just win the Big Ten. You have to like, be expected to be it's, a yeah. It's, are you a one or a two in the tournament? Are you yeah. project? Are you are people picking you in their brackets? So to, you've had you know, Michigan in the final. You've had Wisconsin in the final four. You've had you've had Purdue go to the Elite Eight. You've had Michigan State go to the Final Four. So I'm saying that you've had several teams come and go into that like you know the Big Ten team that's the standard bearer, if you will. Yeah. Since Indiana was last relevant. Or not relevant, but since, since Indiana was last, the, yeah, since the, the standard bearer, the top, national yeah. title standard bearer. Yeah. yeah. So um, I would say that for by that logic, then yeah, I would say the shine is absolutely off Indiana as far as a blue blood is concerned because you know you got short memories these days. Yeah, and what I would say is that when you have history like Indiana's, it's easy to get back there fast. Like for example. Um, Take an Iowa, for example, like a team. I think they have one national title, but it was a long time ago. They do not. They do not. All right. You're probably right. Um, take a team they like They've made Iowa. Final Fours, but... Say that Iowa goes on a tear the next five years. They don't ever win a title. 
but they win a couple conference titles. They make a Final Four or two. Maybe they win the Big Ten tournament two or three times. And then they drop off after that. That kind of run isn't going to sustain them the way it might sustain a program like Indiana. Um, and wake up the echoes. Well, right. And then remember also that period of success Tom Crean had where they won two conference titles in four years, where they got to number one in the country. Think of where the program was when he got there, when they won, I forget if it was six or seven games his first season because of the crater Kelvin Sampson left them in. Um, that's, I mean, that speaks was it to... Worth it? For Eric, for, was, was Eric for Gordon Eric worth Gordon? it? Yeah. Was it worth it? <laughs> I think they won a conference title with him, didn't they? So I think they, I mean, no. No, they're going to say no because of what happened after that. <clears throat> but that's with the benefit of hindsight. So my Eric, point is... Now we both wish Eric Gordon had gone to Illinois. <laughs> so my point is, you look at the speed with which Indiana was able to rebound... Because there is still, I mean, you say that, you know, nobody remembers 2005 Illinois. To an extent, that's true. But if Illinois picks up a little bit of momentum, the recruiting pitch is easier when you have something like that to sell. Because they might not remember 2005, but kids still remember Darren Williams from the NBA, I think. I think most recruits are still young, old enough for that to be the case. Well, God, and, I hope and, that's and, the and case. hopefully when they started playing video games, they had the one with D. Brown... Uh, on the on the back of the box. Nah, that would still be too long ago. That's quite a while ago. Um, so anyway, let's get down to a little bit more of the brass tacks then. Um, Indiana would have been, I think, a case study in the hazards of cream puff scheduling to your tournament hopes. To, to answer your other question is who is the standard bearer? It's Michigan State, and there's there's not even a close second. Um, just because I'm trying to be humble. It, well, you're talking about multiple Final Fours in the last few years, and there is absolutely no signs of stopping. I mean, the, the, the fact that people aren't regularly, like all the time pointing out the Middle Tennessee game is all you need to know because Michigan State's accomplished so much in the short time since that happened that it's erased it. That and the Syracuse game, which was honestly maybe even worse. Um, but yeah, well, first of all, let me tell you, the small... Small little group of very noisy Michigan basketball people do point those things out all the time because now that Beeline's gone, that's all they've got. Because guess what? Howard's never getting any five stars. That's what we figured out this last cycle, didn't we? So, Indiana's non-conference schedule was an impressive 11-1 record, but the problem is the only impressive win they got out of that was the Florida State matchup that was forced upon them by the Big Ten ACC Challenge. They did not choose any difficult games um, the only other kind of noteworthy thing they had in there was Notre Dame, also part of a regular series they play in the Crossroads Classic where they end up with Notre Dame or Butler every year. Um, tomato cans are than that. And so the problem is when you're in a difficult league and you end up with a sub-500 record, 9-11 and 11 overall, your non-conference schedule isn't going to buoy you back up into the tournament picture. Yeah, now if only there was a program that you could play every year that's like not too far away, that would absolutely sell out an arena, that would, that a win over whom would absolutely catapult you into the top 10. If only that were the case. Play Kentucky, you cowards. I don't know. It... How about this? When Bob Knight dies, will you play Kentucky? <laughs> Are we still humoring this old man's grudge? Uh, well, and they let him back in the building, too, so now they're definitely listening to him. Um, yeah. So, on the court, Indiana was blessed with a deep and very capable front court. Um, 
five-star Chase Jackson Davis was probably the most impressive freshman of the year, not named Kofi Coburn. Um, I'll give you that nod. Although it was close. Um, they also had the Butler transfer Joey Brunk come online, and then they had a couple of veterans in Deron Davis and Justin Smith. So they're running deep um, in the front court. Now, as far as this year goes, Davis is out of eligibility, so he's gone. Justin Smith transferred to Arkansas. But Jackson Davis made this mildly surprising decision to come back for a sophomore season, and they get one more year of Brunk as well. Yeah, Trace Jackson Davis might now be the best big man in the Big Ten because everybody else left for the draft. Yeah, that really depends on who comes yeah, back. Yeah, we'll see now that there's a deadline. But yeah, basically every big man worth a shit outside of him declared for the draft. Well, did Luca Garza? I think he, yeah, he, he did. Formally, but he even when he said it, he made it sound like there's like a 5% chance he's staying in. Like, I really doubt he's going to go. He basically said he had to get certain assurances. In this environment, nobody's getting those. So yeah. it wouldn't surprise in me. In these uncertain see. times. Things are uncertain. Um, but no, you're, you're certainly right that, especially if you just project a reasonable freshman to sophomore jump. I mean, he showed signs of being a superstar. Um, presumably, he's coming back to demonstrate a perimeter game, which is going to be antithetical to Indiana's best interests because he was a force around the rim. They're not going to want to take him out to the three-point line and let him fire away, but that's what he's going to want to do to justify coming back. So yeah, it's exactly like uh, Van Halen. Eddie, you're extremely good at playing the guitar. I want to play the synthesizer. <laughs> nobody wants to hear that. Nobody. Yeah. Absolutely nobody. But I want to play the synthesizer. <laughs> oh, my God. Nobody cares. Play the guitar. <laughs> this is us talking to you, Trace Jackson Davis. Nobody wants to see you shoot threes. Do awesome dunks and nifty little post moves. That's what you're good at. The but... first Van Halen song I ever heard was Jump. And, oh, and, and, and as a result, I didn't check out Van Halen for many years after that until I heard Hot for Teacher and I was like, holy shit. That's the same band? Like, who's been here? keeping this from me? Eddie, as it turned out. Uh, um, they also got... We don't, we don't want to hear Eddie Van Halen play the synthesizer. We don't need to have Axl Rose in the glasses playing the piano. Just do the thing that you're good at. Yeah, so they're, Indiana's presumably going to lean pretty heavily on Bronk and Jackson Davis again. But towards the end of the year, they also got a little bit more out of Race Thompson, who's a quite his understatably good name can name team candidate. Um, he's a former four star though, and that's as we'll talk. We'll you know I'll postpone. We'll put a note and pin a pin in him for right now and come back to this when we get to the recruiting thing. First though, there is another reason for excitement in the backcourt, which is that the future is now for Indiana. Um, five star top point guard in the twenty. 20 class after reclassification is now um, is it going to be coming to Bloomington Christian Lander, who is likely to take the starting point guard job from day one because Rob Fennessy, the guy who's coming back, is hurt all the time. And even when he plays, he's been all right. But the ceiling that you have with a guy like Lander is just going to be much, much higher. Um, they do lose Devontae Green out of the backcourt as well. He was very up and down. Um, they've got Al Durham coming back. But beyond that, they're going to need guys to step forward. Um, and since I mentioned the recruiting thing, I guess it was a shorter conversation than I thought it would be. We'll come back to that right now. They have a couple other intriguing recruits coming in outside of Lander. Really, Jordan Geronimo is a top 100 Ooh. wing, and 
Yeah. About time we had another Geronimo in the league. Yeah, it's been too long. Um, they can expect contributions from him right away. Dude, Geronimo Allison signed with the Lions. Yeah, that poor guy. But it, look, you know what? He's getting paid to play football. Good. Good for him. Good. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Lander's going to be the obvious star. They've got Jackson Davis. They can expect contributions from Brunk and Al Durham. Um, probably some from Jordan Geronimo. But other than that, to me, it figures, it feels like Archie Miller has got to find ways to get his non-centerpiece guys to contribute more. I mean, Romeo Langford was a huge get for him in his first team. He was great, and then he was gone. He's got Now he's got Jackson Davis and Lander. Maybe those two guys together are enough. But he's recruited, I mean, it's not like he's had one guy classes and then a bunch of dregs. He's recruited excellent across the board, but he's not getting much out of anything but the very top guys. He needs guys like Jerome Hunter and Armand Franklin and Demezi Anderson. I bet you haven't even heard of any of those guys. No. Um, I'll tell you what, are you, are you surprised by this? Because Archie Miller was a universally praised hire. I am a little bit surprised, yeah. I mean, because coming from a program like Dayton, you figured he would have been good at getting the most out of everybody. Like, you don't... Dayton is a historically, like, pretty good program. But yeah, it's they're like, fine. They're but fine it's also not a recruiting... You know, it doesn't no, recruit itself. This is not the way that he won at Dayton. Yeah. I mean, it's... I don't blame him for using Indiana's prowess and resources to get this caliber of recruit. He should be. Like, oh, it's absolutely. A, no, it's there's a way, no it's a waste disadvantage if you yeah. to recruiting. No, it's a waste well. if you don't. But I am a little bit surprised that we haven't seen better and more consistent development out of the role players, um, out of you know the guys who are not the lottery picks. Because as good as he's recruiting, he's not... Kansas or Kentucky or Duke, like he's not bringing in three or four surefire first rounders. Every he's not year. recruiting well enough to not coach. Yeah, exa- that's a perfect way. That's, to put it. I mean, he's basically he's not doing the Bill Self thing, which yeah, yeah, the Bill Self for the Roy Williams, the roll yeah. out the basketballs and let him go thing. Like, yep, you gotta you gotta pump these guys up a little bit. And this year here at Williams Farms, we raise our <laughs> basketball players free range. <laughs> No guidance, no directions, no limits, and no if classes. And if there's no eggs this year, that's just, that's just because I have the least talented group of chickens I've ever had. Man, who the hell brought in those guys? How to fire that guy? Your source for big and it's off tackle empire.